Hey there, it's Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2021, as we are recording today's episode of Hugo Floss. Obviously, you know who you're here to hear. It's Nancy Hugo. Well, it's also Dan Hugo. They can listen to both of us. And happy Valentine's Day, Dan. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, as we were just discussing before I hit the record button, it's Sunday. It's not really, I mean, there's nothing really going on, so. It's, you know, well, first of all, I've got to say, it's always been a commercial holiday for the florists and the candy makers. They're the ones who make it. And they have pushed the idea that, oh my God, if you don't get a Valentine heart candy and flowers from your husband slash boyfriend slash admirer, then he doesn't love you or he forgot about you or he just isn't doing his thing. So I think it's sad that uh, there's so much commercialism put on the holidays. But on the other hand, people have been sitting for a year in their home and they need something to um, make it a, a different day. Otherwise, Monday through Sunday is the same old, same old. So we got to say, let's not be, you know, just so negative on that. So got to say for all you people out there who are enjoying Valentine's Day, hey, have at it, you know. Actually, you can make Valentine's Day every day. Give your loved one the attention they deserve every single day. Yeah, I think I mean there's generally no no great reason for the Hallmark holidays, really. I mean there there are certain days that are marked for celebration of a person or a thing where it's some you know, now like uh, Martin Luther King Day or Mother's uh, Day is a good one because all mothers like to be appreciated. But there again, like I said before, you should appreciate your mother every single day of the year. Right. So my father. point was going to be that if you're going to coordinate some national celebration of a person or an event, you know, Pearl Harbor Day, not not celebrated quite as uh, vigorously perhaps as it once was, but December 7th, 1941, and then the anniversaries thereafter, or... September 11th is getting that sort of attention is, now. Yeah, a remembrance day more than a celebration. Right. Yeah. Right, right. But I mean, the, these are quote unquote holidays or day, you know, so yeah, days of celebration. <clears throat> or Thanksgiving is, if you look at the FDR history, that was really about shopping. So even Thanksgiving is a little iffy. Uh, there are religious holidays that have been commercialized. So they're, you know, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm personally not a, not a huge fan. And plus, if you are ever into traveling, or if you, depending on the work you do, it's like, uh, I have to travel for Thanksgiving. No, you can do Thanksgiving in October if you want, really. Yeah. No, I agree so, with that because- Now, ha- Halloween is a way, I'm sorry to interject. Uh, Halloween, I guess, would be considered like, it, you got to coordinate neighborhood candy and parents being safe with the kids and everything. And, and, and you know- Dia de los Muertos is the origins of that, I guess. It's the Day of the Dead. So I, that one's a little iffy, but mostly well, I think holidays are... Yeah, yeah, well, Halloween, too, is changed a lot because there's a lot of kooks out there who um, put razor blades and candy and apples, etc. That is an urban myth. That is an urban myth. If you can find actual evidence of that happening, we, we should dig that up. You know, I have heard that the local police department have 
found always situations. Heard. It's oh. always I've oh. heard, I've read somewhere. <laughs> no, I mean, anyway. the, because every year, every year there are these discussions and it comes down to, okay, so do we have an actual case? And if you do have an actual case, it's one. Well, so. wait, if somebody out there has an actual case, could they please let us know so that yeah. I sound like I know halfway what I'm talking about. But but, um, e but even if it's one or two or five, you know, people are, de are vaccine denying because the mortality rate in their judgment is not sufficient for, for uh, worrying about you know, well, the, nobody's dying anyway. So candy is even lower than that. So no, nobody effectively is putting vir uh, virus, <laughs> razor weights in candy. Well, I was going to anyway. say before that somebody, maybe it was FDR. Anyway, they put Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's all bunched together. And I complain about it every year because when you're in a business, I happen to be in a business that depends on delivery dates and completion dates. And you always say, well, you know, our lead time is longer because of the holiday. They should spread those three out. I'm not real happy with whoever put them in uh, such close proximity. Sure. So, well, Christmas, <clears throat> if I recall correctly, is, <clears throat> pardon me, Christmas was uh, placed in December to counter the pagan uh, harvest festival or something, whatever the the holiday is around now, or the celebration of the season. And then Thanksgiving as a shopping, you know, for a Black Friday, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I, I think I just heard about the, that it, it was probably sometime in November, December timeframe, uh, some podcast, I'm sure, talking about the origins of the, the making it a shopping holiday and whatnot. And it was really just to get people out of the depression, the big D depression. And it was to encourage shopping, <clears throat> go out and spend. And uh, here we are. And as you just said, so the like, for example, right now, uh, Friday was the Lunar New Year, Chinese New Year. Oh, really? Lunar, I mean, it's, it's based on the lunar calendar. Yeah, so the Spring Festival is, uh, it, it, you know, it's marked by the, the Lunar New Year. So it's usually a long celebration of, you know, more than a day, weeks, perhaps. And it impacts things like manufacturing because a lot of manufacturing is in China. But it turns out, as we probably all learned last year when they put a stop to it, the spring harvest or spring, spring harvest, spring, the spring festival, I think is what it's called. But the Lunar New Year is the largest single mass human migration on the planet because so many people are going home for the holidays in China, mm -hmm. which has a population of, I want to say, 1.3 billion people, give or take. So, so many people are traveling, train, bus, car whatever that it's it's the largest and and it all happens at the same time so you end up with uh factories shutting down and whatnot well when you put a stop to that you totally re wreak havoc because that's when people go home to see their family like they it might be the one time well that's in china what do we do in america so in in america you may go home for thanksgiving and or christmas and that might be the one time you go home and see your family so if it was no traveling same thing. So it doesn't matter that it's in China. It's the fact is when people align their life to the calendar and the calendar has to have a change, then it's, you know, emotional havoc. It's, it's uh, gatherings, 
going out the window kind of thing. Yeah. So but it's unfortunate, like- but that's that's how you get time off work, right? Yeah. They assume so. So as you just said, oh, our manufacturing lead times or our delivery—they're uh, all impacted by these holidays because everybody expects now to delay things. But if you spread it out through the year, like if 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 we had Christmas dinner at your house, uh, in July, in July, oh, funny <laughs> Christmas that you in July, yeah. Uh, then nobody travels in July, not not like they do in December. Yeah, true. And also you couldn't get uh, the certain items that they push in December. Good sales on gifts and all that other stuff. Yeah, we're stuck with it. We, I don't think you and I are going to change it, although we don't have to go by when everybody else celebrates because we can do it anytime. That's true. But I, I will say <clears throat> in the context of, of this pandemic, the first, the I'm sorry, Black Friday, I was going to say First Friday, the Black Friday notion has become Cyber Monday and has now this year become, eh, Amazon just has sales all the time. <laughs> There's Amazon Prime Day and they move that because of the, you know, so they shift that around and then there are deals every day on things. And so the notion of everybody going out and doing, what do you, what do you call it? Door stop? No, what is it? Uh, you get everybody standing line at the door and they rush in and they get the free TV or whatever. All oh, the yeah. door busters. The doorbuster sales are sort of like, why? Why bother? Just order it on yeah, Amazon any day you want. Good and bad on everything. But, you know, the old days for people out there who are as old as I am, you know, the idea of going shopping and picking out something and then wrapping it or getting it wrapped. I remember going to New York to Rockefeller Center and it, it just, you know, it would be snowing. You look at the store windows and you go shopping. It was fun. Now you just sit in front of your computer and you go, okay, I'll take that and that and that, get it delivered. Yeah, do you want it gift wrapped? Okay, sure, fine. Or the other thing is, yeah, go to Harry and David, send out some pears and chocolate. Done. So the feeling yeah. isn't there, the excitement, the, uh, uh, the, the gift-giving feelings, they're different. It's like, oh, yeah, let me send them some pears so that they don't get mad because they're going to get something from me anyway, but I don't want to go out. I don't want to buck the crowds. I don't want to go into the parking lots, which lately have been dangerous. Uh, yeah, we'll just do it this way. So our whole society is changing. Everything is changing, especially this year. Do you realize we have been stuck in the house for over a year? Um, I, I know in Vegas, though, the... Uh... <clears throat> the beginnings of lockdowns started in March, so it hasn't been, unless you were paying attention to the likely future on, like, second half of January is when it started really making the press here. So it's been over a year if you were really into the news, but it's been slightly less if you were listening to your governor. Okay, so don't be exact, Dan. What I'm, well, I'm saying, just saying that there, well, it is amazing that in that two-month period, that's the difference between... <laughs> between catching it, catching the spread early and trying to limit it and two months later or whatever, 54 days or whatever the delay was, that's the difference between in exponential terms. You know, how many times did the infected population double in that time? Yeah. Scary. So so being exact in this case is, you know, essential. That's the difference between, I mean, in China, people are, they're still trying to limit travel for the new years, but they, for the new year, but they didn't say no. They just said, mm, if you don't have to, don't. 
but people still did. Hmm. Well, I know we weren't going to talk too much about uh, COVID-19, but what's the air like? I mean, what is the barometer like in Vegas? Are people flying into Vegas to uh, try to gamble their money and see if they can leave as a millionaire or whatever? Are people still, are tourists still uh, visiting the great city of Las Vegas? So I don't know if the, I think it's the Las Vegas convention and tourist authority authority <clears throat> something like that uh there's a website if you look for tourism las vegas you'll find it i'll put a link to it but i don't know if they've published the numbers for this year because they've been pretty low but the headlines in our local press are usually a combination of hey things are looking great and hey all the resorts on the strip are doing bad right so they it depends on how you as with everything Depends on how you look at the numbers. So there was one headline I recall uh, probably probably right at the end of the year, uh, 2020. It was basically that, the, hey, this the, the resorts on the Strip, I think they usually call them the casinos, but they're really resorts, uh, oh, are really, doing they're okay. They're tourist traps, Dan. They're- yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> to, to, there, there are casinos all over Las Vegas, but on the oh. Strip, it's a resort, you know, you're, you're not, you've got to go with the family and it's a shopping, a lot of shopping, a lot of malls. The, the, uh, Caesar's, Caesar's forum is that used to be like, oh yeah, they got a mall in there. Now it's like, oh, which ones don't have a mall? Yeah, really? They got, they got them everywhere. So I found, uh, or I mean, I saw this headline that says, uh, that the, oh, the, the resorts are, are actually doing okay. But if you flip through the headlines from previous weeks, <laughs> Like, oh, they're only open on the weekends and they've dropped their rooms down to, you know, bare minimum and they've cut staff and th- yeah. So, so basically they were able to eke out a profit, but on, you know, very minimal revenue because there's nobody's, nobody's coming. So yeah, if you operate one day a week and you don't pay anybody because you've laid them off or your whatever furloughs or whatever they're doing, yay, we made a profit. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not laughing at that. I'm just saying that the way you spin that is, you know, it is what it is, but there's still, oh, so uh, last week, I think some, sometime midweek, I think our governor here, Sisolak, did, uh, he increased the, what do you call it? Like, um, the restrictions on patronage, patronizing, uh, restaurants, and whatnot to 35% from 25% with a cap at a hundred people. So, and the fallacy of those is that they don't really, they're the 35% is based on fire, uh, fire department limits Mm -hmm. and fire department limits are based on exits. And (laughs) so, so the fire department doesn't make that measurement based on, uh, enclosure size and likelihood of virus transmission. So those are sort of disjoint, but 35%, Maybe that'll help, but you know, most businesses here are doing not so great. So Yeah, it's very sad. We talked about that last week, how certain businesses have really gone down the tubes as far as seeing any light at the end of the tunnel. And restaurants are one of them. Travel is another. Of course, Las Vegas, most of the um, most of the things over there are casinos, restaurants, and 
the shopping malls. And if you don't have the people coming, the shopping malls are empty. But I know in New York, um, their wonderful Governor Cuomo um, is he's crazy and he has really ruined it for restaurant people. And why I know that is I kind of keep tabs on it because we do have some relatives that have restaurants. And so now they're going to protest and um, try to get rid of him. And in the meantime, I read that he um, wrote a book, a narcissistic book about how wonderful he thinks he is. So maybe that's part of being a politician. I don't know. I would say that's a hundred percent of being a politician. Yeah. And that, so like, it's unfortunate that discussions about government and policy have become completely, and even viruses and shopping have become 100% political, even though they're essentially, they've been politicized, but they're not political, right? Yeah. Like it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter if you're, whatever your political, like who is, are you in a political party or do you vote a certain way? And you don't have to answer that specifically, but- you know, no, nobody's wandering around going, oh, I'm a party. Like, this is not the environment where people are party members. That's a that's a different style of society, which we they're, they're out there. So, uh, but it's a shame that people are, you know, whether you're, uh, there's there's some thread going on on my in my Facebook, uh, my private account, the smaller account, about conservatives being canceled on social media. It's like, yeah, that's, why? Why are we having this discussion? So I don't. <laughs> Um, well, you know my feeling about Facebook, and I did last week talk about it. I'm only posting my podcasts on Facebook, and there's no other reason for me to go there. Although I kind of peeked at Facebook and found out that somebody in the design community lost her husband to COVID, and she had posted pictures of him at different times with the ventilator, and it's sad. And it's sad that you find out about somebody passing on Facebook. And you can say, well, how else would I find out about it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, but- well, uh, to be honest, <laughs> the, how, okay, before, if there were no Facebook, and let's not even make the MySpace comparison yet, but, uh, but someday that may be relevant, like Facebook as the new MySpace. But before Facebook, MySpace, you know, back when, um, so 1993, when I was sitting in Mariani One at Apple, and my friend Bill from college sent me an email, and he goes, hey, have you seen this Mosaic thing? The first web browser that was kind of floating around for, for general population use. So Mosaic became, well, technically it became both Internet Explorer and Netscape Navigator. But, you know, so back before 1993, when there was no web how did people find out that their loved ones died or, you know, you actually would tell people. Telephone. Right? Telephone, telegram, email. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, mail. Uh, Mostly telephone. People talked on the phone sure. more. Today they text and email more probably. Obituaries. Yeah, true. But it, it, I mean, you wouldn't know about the obituary unless somebody told you so-and-so died. Now you can look. How did you find the obituary without the internet? Yeah. I got to say the internet has the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. But I'm, so my, my thing, which we can talk about this in the context of clubhouse too, if you like. Yeah. My thing is like the internet started off with, Oh, anybody can publish. And so people did. And blogger, took off and then Google bought them. But when Blogger 
launched and I can't remember if it was called blogger at first or I was doing, I went into blogger and I was doing a blog and that was 20 years ago. Yeah. So that was, but that was, it was good because you could publish and it was not great because you were handing over your stuff to some company, but that was back in, it was, um, 1996. I think it was March 96. If I remember, I registered my first domain name, reallycool.com. I was sitting in Apple again, separate, separate uh, term of employment in the Newton group. And I, I had accounts after I graduated from college, I had accounts on Netcom, which was a big giant ISP. So T Hugo at Netcom was my email address forever. And then suddenly they were having issues or problems or going out of business or something. So then it was D Hugo at best.com. So best ISP. And then they were getting on my nerves. So I said, you know what, I'm going to buy my own domain and then I'll deal with forwarding it, whatever. So that you, I'll just have one email address. Do you go at really cool.com, which I still have today. And, uh, so I registered that and that was back when it was $75 to register domains. Anytime you, you know, anything, 75 bucks. And, uh, I should have registered business.com that went for a couple million, <laughs> yeah. but, but that, so those were the, the, the halcyon days when people were sort of staking out their claims and publishing their, their pictures or their blogs and geo cities is making ugly websites and all that. And, uh, so people had agency and they could sort of decide what they wanted to publish and what they didn't, they were still email. I could email you and news Usenet news uh, has been around since I think 1984, 82, 84 or something. <clears throat> so the ability to, to have mailing lists that are public. So news groups, which are very similar to mailing lists, but they're, they're open. Those have been around since the eighties. So Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all these, all these platforms that you must have, or if I get canceled, I'll never hear from anybody again. And they'll never like, these are just re-implementing these problems were solved in the eighties. Yeah. I, I don't know. I keep uh, preaching that too. I don't know if people are understanding what I'm saying and I am in no way a technical person, but I got my name, my domain with my name in 2001. So here we are 2021, 20 years later, and people still don't understand why I have Nancy at nancyhugo.com. They don't understand that. So I have to explain, you can buy your name. Now, there, there's a lot of people who don't um, do it. They still actually have companies. They have small businesses and their email is like mary at gmail.com. And I keep saying, why don't you just buy your domain with your business name? But I guess a lot of people don't understand. And I am lucky enough to have a nerdy son who yeah. actually... <laughs> purchase that um, domain name for me. But I would say, if you guys are listening to this podcast, it makes life a lot easier. Although I have people going, is it Nancy Hugo at nancyhugo.com? Or I don't understand. What are you saying? Uh, well, and so ideally, but ideally, um, uh, because of the way email works, it is possible to do this, but uh, it's a slight administration headache if it's not, if you don't have control of your domain. But you could literally have everything that goes to nancyhugo.com go to you. 
right? So if somebody did mistype it, but as long as they got the domain name right, or if they somehow managed to tr transcribe it incorrectly from a business card or something. So there are some benefits to having a your own domain if you use it for business to, to and you have control over. Now, if you're using Google Workspaces now or, or other similar uh, Microsoft Outlook probably or whatever they call it now, site SharePoint, I think. So if you're setting up individual email addresses, then sure, somebody could mistype. They might type, uh, I don't know, Nancy with an I. I don't know how that would work, but <clears throat> they might mistype that and then you would never get it because. Well, they can even put Nancy at nancyhugockd.com and I would never that's get right. it. You would never get it, right? which is annoying. But, um, and that's a whole nother headache about the uh, feedback you get. So, so the way, the way email works is you're supposed to find out uh, if I send an email to your address incorrectly, it should bounce. That's what it's called, bounce. Mm -hmm. So it should bounce back to me, and I should get a message that says, unknown domain, I know this is an invalid email address. and So there should be an error, but nowadays Zencaster, which we're using to record this today and which we have all previous weeks to, to up to now, they there's no feedback loop, so you don't know that an invite failed. So these are... These are the sorts of headaches that um, it's why Facebook has become what it is, I think, because all of the headaches of buying a domain and setting up you know, web hosting and does pay templates, the look and feel, logos, like, ah, I just want to post a meme that I think is hilarious and which will offend some people. Can I put that somewhere? And Facebook said, come on, well, come on yeah. over. Like I've said before, uh, Zuckerberg made it so easy that everybody, no matter how old they are, they've got a Facebook account and they can post to their friends or they could uh, make it public. The problem is that, you know, people don't think about it. He's become a billionaire because uh, of how he's done things. Now, I didn't realize, and maybe people don't realize that when you have a Facebook account, if you don't do certain things on your settings, everything you do is public. And every every bank transaction, every purchase that you make, it's being funneled into, do we say the cloud? So that Facebook I, knows I, where you're going, what you're doing. I wouldn't go all the way to bank transactions. That's That's a different thing, but certainly purchasing thing. Now, for example, Speaking of Facebook, so somehow, and so Facebook and Instagram are now essentially the same from an advertising perspective. So <clears throat> for a while, I had Instagram trained to show me coffee as the main advertisement because that's the only thing I would ever click on. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, some new roaster with their you know different beans and hey, add your email address and get a 10% discount. So, okay, so I type in my, um, one of my, email addresses I use for subscriptions like this. And then, okay, done. I don't have to bookmark it. I don't have to, you know, I just, okay, I got an email from so-and-so and someday maybe I'll try it or maybe I won't, but, eh. but I did have therefore you know, like 80% coffee in my <laughs> Instagram feed. And then, you know, occasional other stuff, uh, locate, you know, Vegas related, but so that was cool. And then on, on um, Facebook itself, I would see it would skew towards coffee that way also. But the other day, I think it was Thursday, Friday, 
you know, the past two days sometime, I clicked on a, what was it? Some sort of a gigantic chocolate chip cookie. I was like, what, what is that? <laughs> what is this? And, oh, okay. So it's some sort of a, whatever it is. So then I, then, oh, there's three more different kinds of cookie ads. Okay. So now every single website I've visited in the past two days, I'm getting cookie ads. So that's where it gets really frustrating is, so bank transactions, that's a, if you're seeing evidence of your bank now, transactions I, I showing guess up. I shouldn't have said transactions, but this one person. Purchase history. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. This one person said they know when, I don't know if she said they know when she did a bank transaction, but they didn't know actually what it was, but she felt that they were keeping tabs on everything she did and they shouldn't. So they're saying, Hey, if you don't say, don't click, don't uh, know, we don't want you to know everything that we're doing, then click here so that we don't keep track of everything. But they don't make it easy to, to do that. Yeah, that's because that's the revenue model. So, yeah. and so the, 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 I guess the interesting thing, if you will, <clears throat> like if I go to, uh, if I, if I'm on Facebook and I click on a cookie ad and then I start seeing cookie stuff on Facebook and Instagram for days, if I go to another website and again, I see the same, you know, similar, same, exact same cookie ads, the other websites don't necessarily know that it's me. They don't know my face, but Facebook does. So they're able to say, oh, this Facebook. And if you look on URLs that you click on from Facebook, they now all have, if you look at the long, random, weird, noisy um, string of text, it'll say like question mark FBID equals. And then, you know, a whole bunch of random characters. So <clears throat> they know that the, when you click on something from Facebook and it takes you off the Facebook site, that per, that destination will know, <clears throat> pardon me, they will know that you arrived at their website from Facebook and they will be able to look at your Facebook ID, which I, I don't know if they can, they may have to pay extra and find out who it was, but they're able to to <clears throat> take action that they would like. So they would know how I got to your website, to, for example. Like if I clicked on nancyhugo.com on Facebook, you would see a link from Facebook, a Facebook ID, and you would be able to glean some information about your web traffic that Facebook is driving you. But more interestingly, if you had any advertising on your website, that was tied to Facebook, then it would say, <clears throat> oh, you are, uh, we know who you are. <laughs> we're going to deliver ads that you were just looking at on Facebook, even though you're on nancyhugo.com. So you're going to see the same things that you were just seeing because we're going to inundate you with it. And that's very frustrating. And that's where people start saying, are they listening on my phone? But the fact is they're every, all of your clicking and web traffic activity is somehow funneled back to advertising. So Amazon does something similar. So you'll see, oh, I just bought something on Amazon. Now I'm going to see ads for it for the rest of the week. Yeah, it's very annoying. But uh -huh. but we did do a podcast on this where you did mention that if you have a microphone or if you have a computer that has a camera and microphone, it is possible that they're listening. And you said in this podcast, well, I'm not going to say this, but. Well, there was a situation where I was talking to somebody on the phone. I never did go into Google or Facebook or whatever, but I mentioned the word sewing machine and I kept getting 
advertisements for sewing machines. And I never did look on Google. I didn't look anywhere for a sewing machine. So how do you explain that? Well, I don't have to. So that's good. But, <laughs> but so the, okay, here, so Gmail. And I don't know if other, you know, like uh, Microsoft's, whatever they did with Hotmail or the old Yahoo, which Verizon now owns and so on and so on. But, you know, Gmail is a good example. So they started Gmail back in, 2002 or three, I think. And uh, beta only, all this crap. And there was much hay made of the fact that Google was scanning your emails and presenting you advertising based on your emails. And the the take home was like, "Uh, I don't like this, but it's not being scanned for meaning. It's being scanned for keywords. And then it's all automated. So there was sort of this rationalization like, all right, well, it's free email and it's being scanned and I'm being shown advertising based on sender or subject line or whatever. So, you know, you can kind of rationalize that away. So I'm going to guess. Let me, let me ask a question about that though. My emails don't really include anything that's earth shaking, but if you're in a business, um, whether it's um, stock trading or investments, and you send emails, you certainly don't want somebody to scan your emails when they're of that nature, right? Right. So we can get into encrypted emails and, you know, I could, ideally, if you have something sensitive that you want to send someone, you're encrypting it at the source. So end-to-end encryption is the new thing. You're not using Proton Mail or similar, right? When I, when I, send a message, it, I should see it encrypted. I should not send it somewhere else and then hope that they're encrypting it. So unless you're, unless you are paying attention to at that level, then you get what you get. But I don't know if Google workspaces, because it's paid. I don't know if that. Um, so can the average person who is sending an email um, put something on their computer so they can encrypt their email without anybody knowing what it says, including the company that yes. did the encryption? That's been, that's been true okay. since the 80s also. Okay. But nobody does it because it's, it's a pain. I literally, before this, before and during when we first started talking, I was, uh, there's a there's some software called Element, which is part of a matrix communications platform, which is all open source and all encrypted and all, you know, across platform. And it's, it's nice. And when it works well, it would be a great replacement for things like Telegram and Signal, which are already great replacements for WhatsApp, which is a great, um, which is nice because it's cross-platform, but it's Facebook's property now. But what's WhatsApp? What is it? Oh, WhatsApp is a chat application that was purchased by Facebook. Okay, so, so it's, why? It's, but can it's you irk? Why would it's you not rel- chat on Facebook and go into this other thing, <clears throat> WhatsApp? Well, first of all, you, f- I, I don't, I think this is still true. You don't have to have a Facebook account. Oh. So if you are in Europe or the Middle East, then uh, WhatsApp became very popular for chats. And I think India was also a big uh, WhatsApp user base. So it's a, and the chat rooms and everything. So it's essentially like Facebook. <clears throat> I can share pictures and links in a chat room that has thousands of people 
and I can, you know, I'm chatting with people. <clears throat> doesn't scale very well. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to read a chat room with thousands of people in it. If everybody's commenting, that's gets chaotic. I didn't even know what it was. So no, I've never yeah. used it. Well, AOL Instant Messenger had chat rooms. The The notion of a chat room, a chat room is just a closed or it could be open discussion, which is essentially a mailing list. So the, again, these are old, old technologies with new user interfaces. So WhatsApp, uh, you could use it on your phone and there's a web client, so you can use it in a browser and it's very nice, but now it's a Facebook property. So it's going to become part of their machinery. It already is, but more so. So everybody was jumping over to Telegram and Signal. And I've been using Google Hangouts, Microsoft now, Microsoft Skype before it was Microsoft. So Skype, uh, WeChat, WhatsApp. I've been using Telegram for a long time, Signal. So now we got to have all these different applications on our, on our phone or deal with them on computers. And, oh, you're not using, you're using WhatsApp and I'm using Line and somebody else is using Skype. Oh, so now two of us are going to have to install something to talk, which is stupid. So the Matrix platform uh, has what's called bridges and you can bridge between uh, different platforms. And so I can talk to you on your... Uh, Messenger on Facebook, for example, or I don't think they do WhatsApp, uh, Telegram, some others, uh, with my Element client, which is using a Matrix server. So there, the tools are swinging back the other way, where it's like, oh, I can, I can own my own presence and my own communications, and I just have to bridge to others who are not. But ultimately, what you I would, you know, what I would like to see is people returning to the days of like, oh, I'm going to publish my content, pictures, words, thoughts, ideas, whatever. And then people can read them. That's it. I don't have to worry about who, how many followers I have on Twitter or uh, who doesn't like me on Instagram or whatever. They can go to danhugo.com or nancyhugo.com or, you know, whatever fizzboz.com, whatever your domain is or whatever your ownership of whatever carved out section of the internet you have. And that's it. That's where you, and if people don't like what you have to say, they just don't go read it. That's it. Should be that simple. And then messaging, same thing. Like, oh, I, I would like to send a message to Dan Hugo. Oh, sorry. I'm blocked on Twitter. Oh, sorry. I got canceled on Instagram. Oh, sorry. Facebook uh, disabled me for a week. You know, that's, you've handed over your your agency to someone else in exchange for their profits. So yeah, I think you've not a been fan. preaching that for years. You have to own your own um, material. So rather than lean on Facebook or Twitter, you can actually get your own domain and then put your thoughts on there, your pictures. And can you have people automatically subscribe to your website? Probably yes. Right. Yeah, there are RSS feeds, which are, yeah. uh, I'm not a fan of, I mean, RSS is sort of a solution for a problem that we don't have anymore, but. Well, then the other thing would be if you do post something on a blog on your own domain and you want a hundred of your friends to read it, they have to either go into your website or you can do a mass mail out to them. Right. Well, Substack and there are some other platforms, Substack's gotten all the press, but those are, Glorified mailing lists. They are, 
uh, pay Substack a percentage and people can subscribe or they have a free, you know, okay, just a mailing list. You send people mail and then it publishes the email message on your Substack homepage and that's it. So mailing list. So again, all the, all the things that were uh, made in the eighties are just being repackaged. So So, uh, internet, internet relay chat became, you know, IRC, ICQ, uh, AOL instant messenger. So aim, I, A, I, M, IRC, Slack is IRC. So Slack just got sold to Salesforce for how many billions of dollars? And it's just IRC. What does IRC stand for? Internet relay chat. Of course. So anybody who's used Slack, you send somebody a message in a chat room and you can use slash command. So slash help slash whatever. Yeah, that's all IRC. So something that's been around for 40 years is getting billions of dollars of investment. So, mm. and everything's like that. Facebook, Facebook, okay, Facebook is a news feed, right? They even call it your feed. So you're seeing, oh, look, there's what Nancy Hugo posted. Oh, it's a link to some other website. Let me click on that. Guess what? I'm leaving Facebook to go to the other website. So if that link is in an email message and a text message and a news group and an IRC message and a Slack, you're still clicking on a link and it's going to a website. So if I own that website, you have now visited my website. And obviously I'd like you to do that more often, right? So the Facebook economy is like, no, 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 stay on Facebook. So, but why not? Why should I not be able to visit nancyhugo.com whenever I feel like it and not have to find you on Facebook first? That's ridiculous. Exactly. So when you send out, well, you can even send out a certain amount of emails through your, um, through the, uh, email that you have, whether it's Gmail or Cox.net or whatever, and you can group them. So you can have friends, family, business associates, and you can just say, okay, I want these hundred friends to get this blog that I just wrote, right? Yeah, yeah. You can have- um, I'm trying to think of things, the easy way to get rid of Facebook. So yeah, and my, I mean, so the public public part of Facebook, news groups are already exist. So they, uh, Googlebot- uh, Deja News, which was at the time they bought them, like the biggest sort of public web-based news reader. But news groups are essentially email sent out for public viewing. So that Substack I just mentioned, or Facebook, or but if you mark your Facebook pri- uh, profile as like private or friends only, or then theoretically that's like a, a closed mailing list. So now you're directly contacting a smaller set of people. And they're seeing your things, like your pictures of your new baby or your house or your dinner, whatever, right? So the, so Facebook wrapped and added a like button to things that have been around for decades. And the value proposition is really all, it's like 100% is reach, not anything else, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, ease of set, like you don't have to do any work. Like, oh, I'm just going to post a picture. It's done for me. Yeah. Well, in exchange for that, you got to see ads are all over the place and everybody's tracking you. And, and that, so the value proposition is, oh, in exchange for being able to post a picture of my dinner and to post a witty comment about something that so-and-so said in a news article that nobody's going to read, you've handed over 100% of your agency on the internet <laughs> to mm-hmm. Facebook. And how so. important are the likes? You know, where uh, Facebook has... Um, 
brainwashed us to to think that oh we have to like everything and oh now we have a choice of liking or put the heart or put the sad face or whatever so they're training everybody to say hey you have to do this you have to like this or you have to not like this or you have to say it's sad oh yes yeah and so if you get two likes does that make a person depressed I, I heard that the teenage population, they live for the likes because they start getting depressed if they post something and they don't get a lot of likes or comments. That's sad. It is. And then there's the, the what is it called? The um, <clears throat> fake influencers on Instagram. So they stage all their photos. I just saw there was an article. Uh, I, I mean, it's kind of old news at this point, but... Uh, the, the photo at the top of the article was somebody was had like a cell phone or some camera. What's the difference, right? Um, uh, I think on a tripod or whatever, set up lighting and all that on a set that looked like a private jet. But, you know, when you, when you take a picture from behind where the photographer is, so wide shot, oh, it's not an airplane. It's a set. Yeah. So someone's taking their, and, you know, and I see these, some, uh, Women especially like to have a picture, you know, a nice, a nice evening dress on at a, you know, obviously a private jet with a little oval window with a, maybe a glass of champagne or something like, oh, I'm living the life. And, uh, I don't see guys doing that so often, but, but either way, uh, yeah. Is that a real picture? I don't know, but I, I've been reading uh, different news articles about these influencers, usually in their 20s, maybe younger. A lot of them have committed suicide. I'm shocked. I don't know what a lot means. More than one. More than one. Okay, yeah. I'll give you that one. Which is sad. So, yeah, uh, the fact that uh, these have become profit-motivated platforms, it. It, this the story of Instagram is sort of interesting. Um, the guy got rich, and I believe he left the company. It was just a like, oh, how do I post a picture of a you know a restaurant or a a, 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 a site that I am at a a, um, a view or a vista? Yeah, same. Um, right. So it was really just like quick, instant, I guess. <laughs> like, hey, here's what I'm doing right now, and. So the idea is interesting, although I to this day, I wonder why Flickr didn't jump on that because Flickr is a better platform in general, in my opinion. Probably because Instagram, people kept telling me, oh, you should post on Instagram. And I thought, why? But then to me, doing the hashtags is a pain in the neck. But I can- Yeah, I never hashtag anything. Yeah. I don't care. And <laughs> I that's have not looked, why I'm posting. I have seen some people with 25 and 30 hashtags. And actually, there are people that have their account with the same name as these people's hashtag. And I don't think they realize it. Yeah. So well, the, they're the forcing people are, to other people's uh, accounts. Yeah, the hashtags are gameable. And they're I think they're dumb. Um, it's like, it's a, it's a wide net. So sure. You know, doesn't, I guess it doesn't hurt anything to take the time to put, especially if you can automate that. But I, it's, uh, yeah. You remember trading places as an example of a, uh, remember Eddie Murphy and uh, Dan Aykroyd yes. at the end of the movie, they're, they're on a commodities trading floor and they are, uh, in that case trading uh, frozen concentrated orange juice, but 
you know, actual commodities like pork bellies and all that stuff. That was back in the pre, you know, the manual days when people would actually go and tra- and you can see they're doing hand signals and they're they got paper and they're writing and they're and they're yelling and they're pitching. I mean, they're uh, bidding and then ask prices and all, it's all insanity. So that's that's my view of hashtags at this point. Like, oh yeah, just add the um, the oh so important uh, food truck life. Uh, we all know I, I'm into food trucks, right? More so before, but. Yeah, food truck life. Got to add that hashtag so that you and a thousand other food truck owners and then anyone else who feels like adding it are on that trading floor. Hey, food truck life, food truck life. No, no, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in food truck, not life. Okay, I want food truck uh, bananas. So <laughs> to me, it's just a cacophony of uh, of of uh, glomming on to, oh, like, oh, this is a popular hashtag. You should add it to your post. Well, mm. that doesn't really have anything to do with what I'm posting. Yeah. Let me say something about Instagram, though. I started, I did get an account on Instagram, and I was just showing pictures of interiors, of things that really just to have my pictures, and one of my hobbies is photography. And so I would put some really interesting pictures on there. And the more I went on Instagram, the more I looked at, there are a lot of people that will put picture after picture after picture of their body. Uh, I don't know if they're waiting to be discovered, if they're that narcissistic, if they're just, um, I don't know, maybe they don't, they want to put pictures of themselves all over their bedroom wall and maybe instead they put it on Instagram. But I think that is a little sickening. Uh, There are people that actually have a, they probably take a picture of themselves maybe 10 times a day and post it on there in different poses. Because that's how you become an influencer and you charge money for product placement. So if you're wearing a particular brand or you're at a particular place, so you got foodie influencers, for example, you pay them to come to your restaurant or your food truck event or your festival or whatever. They take pictures of the food and they tag it with the location and they, hey, I'm out here. It's so-and-so. You pay them to do that. And if it's a local influencer like here in Vegas, you might, you know, certainly free food. That goes without saying, but, um, you know, oh, you got, you got a hundred thousand followers. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll pay you a thousand dollars. And if you're, I just saw this the other day. Um, if you're Kylie Jenner, I think it's a million dollars for a Instagram picture. Oh, I don't even want to go to the Jenners and the Kardashians. No. So anybody who's posting pictures of themselves 10 times a day, you're, you're building up your following and, and your potential earnings from becoming an advertising platform for. Well, you know what? So if you're, you know, there, there are gym rats. There are people that are exercising all the time. They'll advertise the sport drink they're drinking or the protein shake or the weight equipment or the sneakers or the gym clothes or the, you know, the list goes on. So there, there are, um, there are a variety of desk setup websites. I'm sorry, uh, Instagram accounts, mm-hmm. website, Instagram broke the internet, by the way, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so it's pictures of people with their with their LED lighted uh, cases and you know computer cases and their keyboard and their pencil and their uh, I don't know why they have a pen probably and it looks like it's just been well staged it's a stage photo but you know monitor with a screensaver on it and the weird lighting and the LED red you know great um, red green blue lights and so it looks very catalog ish. Like nobody's actually using that for work, 
but that so there and guess what now instagram has added you can now highlight products and put links to them in the picture like oh here's the samsung monitor i'm using and here's the uh the uh razor keyboard and the pen is from mont blanc you know whatever right they can tag these products and those are all product placement with affiliate links and so rather than you nancy hugo being able to post a link on a on a picture or you know to do whatever you want on nancyhugo.com oh you're at instagram.com you can have one link in your profile in your bio and then links that are in the comments don't work and you can only do, so they've completely limited what you can actually do with what is supposed to be the open internet they're like oh you're on instagram now you got to follow all of our rules or you'll get banned or it doesn't work or it's confusing or so yeah, I'm not a, not a huge fan. I, I mean, it's it's interesting, but it's losing favor to me, and uh, I, I don't get any value out of Instagram. So mm, maybe one of these days we'll all go back to the way it was, and communicate with people face to face. Every single <laughs> smartphone shipping today has a ridiculously capable web browser on it even Safari on uh, iPhone. And now I think Chrome is available on iPhone, but Firefox, Chrome, uh, Explorer is now using Chrome. Unfortunately, they should have used Firefox, but which is uh, Mozilla, which is Netscape, which I kind of worked on way back in the day. Anyway, so every phone has a web browser and the advent of progressive web applications, PWAs, means that you can you can make what looks like an application on your mobile device that's actually a, a web browser. It's a, it's a page. It's a web page. And you're viewing it in a web browser. But it looks like an application because eh, mostly the same. So Instagram, you can, you can actually visit Instagram.com on your web browser, on your phone. Mm-hmm. You can log in if you have an Instagram account. And you can, I, I, I'm, I haven't tried it lately, but you could do most of what you were aiming for. Uh, the filters and the other silliness are part of the application, but say you want to take a picture or post a video or using your the phone, uh, I'm sorry, the camera on your phone, mm-hmm. or suppose you took a, a real picture with a real camera and you want to post it on Instagram. You can, if I'm not mistaken, which I haven't tried this in a while, but you could post a picture from your computer desktop or your, uh, phone using the web browser they used to not allow that it used to be application only but they at some point said oh i guess we are breaking too much of the internet (laughs) so there's a there's a web client so yeah you you most of what you can do with apps facebook i I deleted the facebook application off my phone forever ago years and if i ever wanted to use facebook on my phone i would use the browser version the mobile website i don't even do that okay let's go back to i have a question so Years ago, you could not post pictures on Instagram except from your phone only. Now, were they accepting pictures from your desktop on your Instagram account? So that was I. That's what I just said. So I know I've tried to clarify that in my head. Right. So so I've I've not tried it lately because I, I if you if you look at Dan Hugo Dan Hugo on Instagram, you'll see I. I don't post nearly as often as I, I used to post uh, mostly travel when I was traveling around hackathons mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, so I haven't tried it in a long time because I don't really care, but the web client 
desktop or phone. So the, the browser-based Instagram website. Uh, as far as I'm aware, you can post pictures and videos. You can respond to messages now. Used to not be able to do that. So the the web view, the web-based, you know, browser-based uh, Instagram interactions are almost the same. Like I said, filters, other things like this, um, I don't think so. Like you don't have direct access to the hardware, so they can't mess, mess with your camera, you know, change camera settings or whatnot. But yeah, if you just want to interact with Instagram, you want to like if you want to comment, if you want to upload a picture, I believe all that is totally doable. Stories, I'm not sure about. I think you can view them, but I'm not sure if you can post or create them. I'd rather do it on my, uh, yeah. I think it's easier for me anyway to put things from my desktop onto Instagram. And that's one of the reasons why I really don't do that too much. Yeah. And and even if you, even, excuse me, even if you can't, like why, yeah, why do why do people have to create a platform that breaks so much of what people have come to um, at least be comfortable with, right? Yeah, I agree. Like, oh, you can you can only do like uh, well, Clubhouse. If we want to touch on that, Clubhouse. Hey, you can create a drop in podcast, <laughs> but only if you're invited and only if you have an iPhone. Like, oh, what if I don't have an iPhone? Well, sorry, we don't care. You're out. Yeah, that's so. Why, but why do that? Why not create something like that using? I guess open because standards? they can. Yeah. Because oh yeah, sure. And well, because well, if you do it in an, an elitist way, then you, you know, if you read the opinionated, the editorialized version, like oh, the Silicon Valley big tech guys, probably mostly guys, uh, started their own little chat room thing, and now it's uh, that's where Elon and Zuckerberg go to chat with their, you know, their elitist buddies. And then you can listen in and then you got the, the pinky out when they're typing, I was just listening to Elon on clubhouse. So I guess we should explain that you are a a left brain person and I am a right brain person. And I listen while you talk about all this technology, but yeah, I'm more creative. But let's give um, the people who are listening a little background on your experience with Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> so I, uh, it was right after, was it right after? Yeah. I gra- was I graduated it right in, after? It was, I was, well, I graduated in 93. So that was May. And Clinton had just come into office, right? Because he was elected in 92. Okay. So um, <clears throat> so the, the recession, you could call it the Bush recession, I guess. Bush 41. <clears throat> so the recession had made the job market. <clears throat> ma'am, excuse me. The recession had made the job market really challenging. So everybody that graduated in 1983 from my school, which was a small group, uh, like, over half of them went off to graduate school, but I wanted to move to Silicon Valley. That was my kind of my goal for a long time to, to do something in Silicon Valley. <clears throat> so, so yeah, I moved up to Silicon Valley and I took a job at Supermac Technologies as a tester because I figured, well, if I'm in the city, that's a, that's a good first step. 
and I made my way around Silicon Valley. It was it was super easy from 1993 to about 1995. Things really started picking up, and I, you know, I said I worked at Apple. I worked at um, I worked at Apple twice or three times, twice that I remember. Um, a Mac clone company called Umax. I worked at Netscape. I worked at Philips Electronics. I worked at Leapfrog Toys. I worked at well, I don't know. It's all on my resume somewhere, but um, so I. It was super easy because of the demand, because everybody was starting jobs on based on a napkin. All the, all those silly stories you heard are, for the most part, true. So Silicon Valley on HBO, this this the the, uh, the show. Mm-hmm. I always I always told people like, I don't need to watch it because I was there. <clears throat> but all those things didn't happen to one company, Pied Piper on the show. But all of those things in one way or another happened to people and their startups or small companies all over the place. So, you know, some version of that, but not all, you know, you don't get every single thing happening to one group of four people. That would be ridiculous. But, uh, yeah. So I was in Silicon Valley from 1993 to 2001, moved to Phoenix in August (laughs) of 2001. And you're Thinking, laughing because uh, August is one of our hotter months, but you did grow up here, so. No, that's not why I'm laughing. Um, oh. Although I did, I moved my stuff in the George Carlin sense, I suppose, uh, with my college roommate Kevin in June. We moved to move. We we arrived in Phoenix and we packed up my truck with all my worldly possessions. I think it was a 24. You know, it was a big giant 24 foot truck. I think. And I think we arrived in Phoenix and it was a cold spell and it was like, you know, 95 or something. And the day we left, it was 118 at least, maybe 120. Mm. And Kevin was from, he was from Hawaii. So he's like, oh my, th- man, what happened? <laughs> it's ridiculous here. So, but I finished moving in August. So I was done with Silicon Valley. I, you know, the last of my travels moved in done living in phoenix i'll consult I'll, I'll work for other companies in silicon valley remotely whatever and uh that all changed on september 11th so that's why i was laughing because uh, all all of my intentions were tossed out the window yeah so i moved back to silicon valley in 2005 and stayed there until my house fire oh that in, could be another podcast let's not go into yeah. that one but that yeah. was in uh what was that 2000 uh 11? I think it was 11, 12, 2012, 2012, 13, 14. I don't know. I told anyway, you, I yeah, can't so, remember where I parked my car. I can't remember what year you moved in there. I literally uh, just contacted a guy named Marshall, who was the director of, director or senior, whatever, of uh, engineering at True Vision. So that was an interesting company to work for. So so these are people I've known since you know, 95, 96, 98 time frame. Interesting, interesting times. So yeah, Silicon Valley was an interesting place back then. Now I, I would not move back. I would not go back there. Just alone, the prices to live there, the prices of the homes, everything is so out of whack, if you ask me. I agree. Uh, Kevin and I, when we lived there, we worked together at two or three companies, Three com- technically three companies. So we used to 
drive around or whatever, you know, like how, how on earth can a, can it quote no normal person? I mean, we were making okay money, but how can a normal person, like how can you work at in and out or, or McDonald's or the post office and live in this city? It's ridiculous. And in fact, I lived in Sunnyvale, California and most of the police officers that worked, that worked in the city could not really live there because it was too expensive. Mm, I can For example, that. yeah. So it's hard to be a police officer in a place where you can't live. Yeah. Not that you don't live, but can't live. So that that's a little weird. Something to think about. Okay. Well, what do you think? I think I should. Complain. I think you were. I think you were going to complain about something. That's what yeah. I was going to say. I was. This is the segment of our podcast where I get to really share my um, my gripes. And as I've said before, for 13 years, I wrote a column, Nancy's Soapbox. And it's easier for me to read some of my blogs or my postings that I did because then I get my point across. So I'm going to talk about what really irks me about people who are late all the time. I grew up with punctuality. It started when I was a child, and I had the responsibility of getting my sister to school on time, so I was groomed to be punctual. Since then, I've been a stickler for not being late, and I'm, gonna, um, I'm going to be more than five minutes late, then I usually call people, especially if it's an appointment and they're waiting for me, especially if it's one of my clients. I make it a habit to call and let the person know that I'm running behind. Most of the time, I get there within the two minutes of the uh, appointed time, and they look at me like, well, what did you bother calling for? But I just want to make sure that I'm on time. There are people in this world who think that clocks and watches are only decorations. They don't have a clue what the word late means, nor do they care. It just seems to be their way of life, which is acceptable in some societies. But as far as I can tell, everything is based on time in our society. Everything is based on your clock. Being a few minutes late occasionally with a valid excuse is okay. It can happen to all of us, whether you get a flat tire or you get an accident on the freeway or your babysitter's late. But these excuses only work a few times before somebody gets the reputation of always being the late person. But to not make a phone call or a text or a tweet when you're going to be late is inconsiderate, especially in the professional world. I have heard the expression fashionably late several times, but what does that mean? Making a grand entrance to a party so no one will be noticed? Um, Walking into a wedding or a play that's begun? Fashionably interrupting the event? I don't think so. Being perpetually late, in my opinion, points to disorganization. Preparing for a meeting in advance, which includes mapping out the route, gathering the required materials, picking out the outfit that you'll wear to the meeting will help a person be punctual. You know, don't wait until you're running out the door before you decide you don't want to wear those clothes anymore. That's being a little ridiculous and inconsiderate as well. So unless you're independently wealthy or maybe retired, A person is stuck with accepting the fact that being on time is the norm. So reserving the unharried lifestyle for a vacation or for times when lateness isn't a big deal would be more appropriate. So people, get with the program, stop being late if you're one of those perpetually late people, and start looking and planning ahead so that you don't uh, 
well, so that you don't interrupt the meeting, so that uh, you look a little more professional than uh, you actually are. That's my two cents for the day. Two cents delivered on time. <clears throat> That's very nice. The um, I I have I just mentioned True Vision, so I didn't. That was just happenstance, but that was there. I have two probably appropriate, I guess, store short stories. So one, I was at True Vision. The engineering team, I just mentioned, I spoke to Marshall. I can remember them today. Uh, Eric Quo, uh, Ray Picard, Marshall Johnson, Chris Kampner, me. Ah, there's two people I can't remember. But anyway, and then we got a, a, a new person joined as a manager of that group. I don't know why they chose to add somebody, but his name was Yoram Arbel. Yoram Arbel. I think he was Israeli. Do you think he could be listening to this podcast? You better not no. say anything bad. No, no, no. Uh, I, I'm going to say well, it wasn't bad. It was actually completely appropriate. Uh, if all of us were on the same sort of level of uh, time management, I guess. So he joined and we had our first weekly engineering meeting and, you know, starts at nine and 902 people are still kind of going sitting down again and this is before laptops were the the rage right so nobody was bringing, walking in with their laptop and setting it up it was really just people wrapping up whatever they were doing at their desk and walking over to the meeting room and whatever so 902 903 and he starts off the meeting by telling everyone how much time they have all wasted because you are wasting the time of everybody if we can't start <clears throat> so he was basically saying oh in a room full of 10 people if you're late you have wasted nine times the amount of time that you were late because you wasted the peop the individual time of each other's people because they were on time. So that's completely appropriate. And so I didn't disagree with that, except that everybody in the room except for him knew all of these, you know, like, oh, we know that Marshall has the longest, what, because his office is the furthest away and he's also the most essential person in this whole room. So if he gets there two minutes late, those two minutes were probably worthwhile. Yeah, but as, as I just mentioned, if he knew he was two minutes further than everybody else, he should have started out two minutes earlier. That's right. Except that Marshall, being the senior engineer, would sometimes have a phone call or sometimes have to get to a you know a, respond to a message from somebody in another state, like Indiana, where our other team was, or the CEO, Lou Doctor. So him being late by a minute or two was not real i mean it was part so the, but the, the the important part was because we were all in the same room anyway you could see that so and so is oh there he's still the, okay so I, I know we have a minute so we all could see each other why so unlike traveling across the city you know and calling ahead you know we are all literally in visual range of each other and we can all see each other walking to the room so to us we all kind of sync up and arrive at whatever time it is based on okay well you're okay you're doing okay you're wrapping that up okay blah, 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 blah. so Great. So Yoram being new doesn't have any of that insight or familiarity. So to him, oh, you just wasted all my time. But like I said, totally true generally. But in this specific case, it'd be like saying, oh, you're all late to dinner. Well, we all live in the same house and you know, I was doing this and I knew that the, the you know what I mean? Like there's yeah, a difference. I understand, but also five minutes is not a big deal. I have waited no, for, well, but to him for it was. a half hour. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, so like I said, so the, in general, he was completely correct. Right. It's it's something to keep in mind. Now, 
The other story is when I worked for Bruce, the famous, the infamous, uh, Bruce hired me. Bruce was my manager at the first job I had at Supermac and I still know him. I very rarely talk to him. He lives up in Oregon. So his, he was globally known. I mean, like I'm sure people in other countries are aware of this too. Bruce had his little Motorola flip phone and he would not only he would, would he take calls and make calls during meetings, but he would then finish the call and tell people to start over. <laughs> or he would walk into the meeting 10 minutes, 20 minutes late for whatever reason. Okay, start over. And everybody in the room is like rolling their eyes and frustrated. <clears throat> now, because he was in an uh, upper management or eventually like a, I don't know if he was the CEO of our business unit or something, but he, you know, so yeah, I guess you get to say that. And I guess all of the time and whatever that results in funding, you know, paychecks and then whatever. Yeah. Okay. You're responsible for that. So I guess you get to do that, but same thing, right? Like that is by a your mom's. Nar- yeah. A little narcissistic, a little, Hey, you're yeah. not as important as me. Yeah. And, uh, so, so nobody, nobody could look, if it happens every once in a while and you're like, all right, he walked in a minute late, but he, he's closing a deal that makes us go and all you know, that kind of stuff. And that's where Marshall's role was, right? Oh, Marshall's sitting coding all day and he's taking a call from the CEO or he's talking to the team in Indiana or whatever. And he's going to be a minute late. We can deal with that. But to, to be so consistently late and disrespectful of everyone universe. And it wasn't even, sometimes it was his peers too, which I know he got a little rep for that. I don't mean to dig on Bruce so much, but the point is that it's- uh, Oh, go ahead. You know you love it. People people are generally, uh, they, they don't, they don't uh, feel the impact that they have on others when they're around. When they, I spaced, that was always a funny, yeah, you I spaced, know, but sorry. When people aren't- uh, constantly late you know you can give them a pass on that but there are certain people and i know certain people in this design community you can just uh set your watch Uh, i mean a lot of times i would have to tell these certain people that the meeting was a half hour earlier than it was just so they could be on time so there are people who don't have a clue about time management yes and i have a feeling it's those those people are not um, the, they're viewing it as their time, not your time. So if I'm having a meeting with you, I'm taking your time. Right. So if I'm late, then that's your time I'm wasting. But if people look at it as like, oh, I'm just late. That's my time. I'm late. Yeah. yeah that goes with and so the movie things. analogy, right? So if you arrive late to a movie, they don't start the movie over. So you, you wasted your time or you lost that time. But yeah. if it's a screening, if like you're, Steven Spielberg and you arrive late, they might go, oh, wait, okay, we got to roll it back and start over. Well, if you're so late for a, a wedding, they're not going to start it over. Oh, that's true. But that's unless, the, the point unless that you're I was- the, and, Unless you're the bride, was, yeah, they might start it over. Well, no, they'll wait for you. But if you want to get there fashionably late, which is what I said, and make your grand appearance, that's not your day. So either yeah. stay out in the hallway of a an event or don't go. That was uh, John Travolta in Get Shorty, I believe, movie. He has uh, somebody makes a comment about how it's the me- the meeting already started, and he looks at him and he says, 
if you're important, they'll wait. And uh, I actually, I said that uh, we can, we can minimize our vaccination comments, I suppose, but I was at the vaccination pod again, same one. And I was, I was uh, in this, at this point, transporting filled syringes of vaccination dose, Pfizer dosages to the vaccination stations from the, they call it the vaccination table. Some people call it the pharmacy, right? So that's where they're preparing the doses. So they're handing me six syringes at a time or sometimes three or four because you get six doses per vial. There are two people uh, drawing the, the dosage, doses into the syringes. So I walked back and at some point one of the, and these are two um, National Guard medics that were mm-hmm. drafted into this. So one of them says, sorry, I'm going as fast as I can. I said, they'll wait. So then the the chief EMT from the city of North Las Vegas fire department joined in the fund and he was drawing syringes. And I said, yeah, he was, he was worried about, you know, rushing and not going fast. And I said, you don't, you don't have to, they're going to wait. You don't have to break off a needle into the, th- you know, whatever. And he goes, ah, I feel bad. I don't want, you know, some of the, some of the, because of the, the criteria for getting a, a tiered criteria. So 70 and above right now mm-hmm. here in Vegas, oh. Clark County. So he said, you know, I know a lot of people here are older. I don't want to see some. And I said, I'm not talking waiting 20 minutes. They were, they were worried about like a 30 second delay to get the last syringe filled. And I'm like, you don't have to worry about that. You know, take your yeah. time, get the dosage right. So, so yeah, there's, there's a time and a place to inject, so to speak, the, um, that extra, you know, if you like, I'm not going to risk my life to get your wedding on time. But I'm no. gonna try. <laughs> Unless you're a bride, yeah. Yeah. yeah although I yeah. guess, uh, I guess if you're really late, then they might have a problem. Yeah. Where is she? Yeah. Oh, she's not coming. On that note, I think we should um, think about. Oh, wait, you got vaccinated. You got vaccinated. Hey. Yes, I did. I don't know if you wanted to mention that, but. No, I didn't. Well. <laughs> I got vaccinated. Was it? it wasn't bad. Uh, we did a drive-through. Uh, the particular place that I went to, they have vaccinated more than a million people so far. They're open 24-7. And it's just a constant barrage of people um, going through the lines. And it was interesting. I probably start to finish, probably took uh, 45 minutes. So well, not bad, not bad. My yeah. uh, after effects were just a small little pain in my arm. Not a big deal. Lasted a couple of hours. Now I'm ready to get the second one. And then after two weeks after that, as we all know, putting my mask on and then I can actually socialize a little bit. Yeah. Although they're, uh, I think I said this last week, they're, they're not educating people about the shedding and the, it's not sterilizing and all that. But anyway, yeah, it's, Hopefully, we'll see a return to some degree of uh, humanity. I don't know when they but, predicted this return to humanity, but probably my guess would be by June or July. Um, I don't know but, what the current numbers are. Like a third of yeah. Americans don't want to get vaccinated yeah, for whatever reason, but that hopefully will change over time. And then availability is an issue. I literally... Uh, you may have heard me mention this. I was listening to this week in virology. Uh, oh yeah, you do listen to that weekly, today, of course. <laughs> earlier today, and uh, they were talking about uh, with Doctor Offit, 
who developed and was part of the development team on the norovirus vaccination for kids. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about like one of the, the, the three challenges are production, um, delivery and administrate and administering the vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And so right now there's a shortage of supply. Uh, the infrastructure, I think is still depending on where you are, like the, you know, the, the, the site and the appointments and the notifications and the line that you have to wait in and all that. And then the actual injection when you get there, right? So you're there, Oh, now we're here and I'm getting my injection. And so one of the things they mentioned was I've said this part, it, once you crack open the vial, you have six hours to use it or you got to throw it away. So you'll get, you know, Hey, does anybody need a shot? Sometimes. And well, cause there's no preservatives in Pfizer or yeah. uh, Moderna. No you know what? Um, I did notice that there were many cars that had a lot of people that probably just, uh, got, you know, kind of, um, went in, you know, went with their friends without having an, uh, an appointment hoping that they would get it. And they're, they're letting people do that. But in Arizona, they've got, they've opened up uh, delivery sites to drugstores, uh, food stores, many of the colleges. And I think uh, in Arizona, and so isn't it different in every state, but in Arizona, they've really got the push on to get everybody as va- vaccinated as quickly as possible. So, yeah. and they're doing- both Moderna and Pfizer. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Because depending on which one you guys, so there's a little bit of a logistics nightmare about making sure that you get the second from the same as the first. And there, uh, CDC or FDA or, or NIH or somebody with a TLA is a three letter acronym is, uh, they're, they're researching whether, you know, Pfizer first, Moderna second, or vice versa is anywhere near as effective. And they're not sure, but they eh, might be because they're very similar. Uh, the way the second shot as a booster is, is sort of because you've kickstarted the process with the first shot. And then the second shot is supposed to sort of reinforce the formation of memory T the T cells for prolonged immunity and all. So it's, it'll be interesting to see because this has all been moving at warp 20 Mm-hmm. But it was interesting. Um, like you have, you can you can th- the the pharmacy thing is very interesting. You can thaw them and they'll hold in a uh, more reasonable temperatures for five days, I think. And then you can uh, bring them down to room temperature for twelve hours and six hours once you crack it open. And so it's it's a it's a logistics nightmare. So I I've said this before. It's um, I'm not mitigating those efforts because it's. Uh, it is a Herculean task to make this happen with the constraints and the pushback from the public and the, the availability and the manufacturing delays just cause making no, I think I heard on a, on a show, like a documentary about the, the whole thing. They're like, uh, no one has ever made like a billion doses of something in six months or, you know, with nothing, there was no lead up, right? It wasn't like, oh yeah, we got this vaccine and we've been using it for 10 years. We need a, so everything has been real to, this is definitely a startup. So it's yeah, been definitely this has been a success um, from when it started, when it was Operation Warp. Um, you know, I was going to say something and I completely forgot about it. Well, that yeah, happens, well, cre- man. Credit to Moderna and to uh, Oh, I know what I was going to say. Wait a minute. They were working on SARS-V1. All the people 
at the place where I was, and there were many, many people administering, um, telling you where to go, checking everything. They're all volunteers. So, um, you know, applause to them. Yeah. Many, many volunteers are making this happen. So, so anyway, hopefully. Yeah. And actually, I mean, off the record, supposedly, maybe, um, not a big deal, but I believe two, three, maybe of the people giving injections at the site I was at on the fifth of my volunteer days of the five so far were veterinarians, I believe. Oh, really? So they've enlisted the help of dentists, veterinarian, anybody who is medically nurses, some nurses, if you are. Anybody who knows how to squeeze that syringe to get that stuff in your arm, right? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Although you, I mean, you have to be able to recognize certain symptoms before, during, after, right? So. Mm -hmm. Like what happens if their arm starts turning red immediately or what happens if they pass out, things like this. But yeah, so it's very basic. It's the, the mo it's a school nurse style. I mean, I don't mean to oh, yeah. diminish that, but you know, it's not, you're not performing surgery or removing sutures, but just some minimal awareness. And then there's army national guard medics. And I think that's happening in multiple states. So yeah, it's a, it's yeah, a I saw huge mobilization. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. A lot of uh, blue cross blue shield, um, employees and relatives of employees with Blue Cross Blue Shield. And they also had people from the uh, Neurological Brain Institute with Barrows. I got to give them kudos because we're there all the time. Um, So yeah, it it is a big undertaking. And to see it happening is amazing. So uh, on that note, I'm not going to talk any more about the vaccine until I get my second one and start socializing. And that's my plan. What is your plan for this week anyway, Dan? I <clears throat> still working on the all, website for Hugo all, Floss. Yeah. So I, so we spoke about Clubhouse briefly. So my my goal, the the front facing website is like um I'm not really a web designer, so I'm never really a fan of the pretty part. But I'll I do really, pretty. You do the coding. Yeah. I'm really, so one of the things uh, I think I mentioned, I was chatting with uh, Daniele and my friend in, uh, he's now in Eindhoven, Holland. So we're, we're using Element, this cross-platform thing. Ideally, what I would like is to enable a guest, hint, hint, or even the two of us or others to, if we live stream, like we could, we could be broadcasting this live while we're doing it and people could listen using something like icecast so they could click on a link and listen in their browser audio player on their phone Um, that's easy that's been around for 20 30 years we can have live chat people could send it hey nancy tell me about the this thing that you just were talking about oh i hate it when my friends are late to you know so people could interact if they wanted to and what i would really like is to enable people to use the audio at least, and maybe video if we want to go there, that that works on a browser. You don't have to install things, or if you did have to install the chat client, maybe it's multi-use. So you're not installing like the Anchor application for podcasting. So it's it's uh, much more fully featured. So the thing, it's a long answer, I suppose, but yeah, I'm trying to make a system that will work for us. And uh, the the podcasts are technically the podcasts have always been available on anchor and that's fine. And you can 
listen to them there and, and or download them with your favorite MP3 player, podcast player. And I, th- I uh, how many are we? I think I think it's six or seven. I don't know. Um, Spotify. We're not on Apple iTunes yet, et cetera, et cetera. So, <clears throat> but those oh, are the beginnings. Eight. If you're on Anchor, you're on eight platforms. I guess. So it's so not say. iTunes yet, yeah. but, but that's the thing, right? Like ultimately, cause I, I think I've mentioned I'm working on some other podcasts as well. And ultimately a platform that doesn't depend on anchor or doesn't say, Oh, sorry, you have to be using iTunes or Google podcast player. Cause that's the same clubhouse problem. So, um, and because people are not telling every single friend they've ever known in their life, to listen to this podcast, we don't have quite the listenership that say design chat with Nancy has yet, mm-hmm. but these are all over time, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm particularly interested in enabling, you know, clubhouse calls it drop in, uh, drop in voice chat, something like that. Drop in podcast, if you will. So it'd be nice if somebody could just, uh, join in like you know if somebody were listening to us right now live and they said oh i, I want to say something maybe that's you could enable that or i could enable that maybe so that's we let them maybe not <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah these these rooms all have some sort of allow deny moderation and i've um i was part of a well, i listened in and i watched a stream using some other thing which was like crowdcaster or whatever and it allows people to join in with video if they want, right? Like I have a question and they can just say it in video. So that takes a little bit of effort to make sure they're not going to cause trouble or if you you got the, got the kill switch to, to disconnect, whatever it is. But anyway, so um, I'm, I, I think things like this, some conversational podcasts are more interesting when people are involved. Mm-hmm. If we can invite people to interact and hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll become a competitive uh, notion to things like Clubhouse, which say, oh, yeah, if you want to talk to Nancy and Dan, you have to download our application and get an invitation to participate. And then it has to be an iPhone. And, you know, suddenly you're putting up all these barricades and distractions. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Well, yeah. on that note, I have to uh, do a commercial for Home Design Chat with Nancy, and that's the podcast that I do every week, and we talk about everything having to do with your home. So this is my fourth season. I always, for the most part, I have guests, and they are experts in their field, and we cover things like um, how to design your dream kitchen, how to build a team to design your dream kitchen, what kind of tiles should you use, where, et cetera, et cetera. So it's on 28 platforms because that one's been around for a while, and it's called Home Design Chat with Nancy. And you can find that on oh, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, et cetera, et cetera. So on that note, is it, is it time to say goodbye yet, Dan? I it's probably, uh, it's been 90 minutes. So yeah. yeah. I think for those people who have stuck through the whole 90 minutes, thank you so much because sometimes I'm sure you're going, when is this ever going to end? But Dan has a lot to talk about and he's got a lot of interesting stories and I am the more of the creative one. So I listen to what he talks about as far as the technology goes and hopefully some of it will sink into my head. 
So I want to say thank you for listening to this podcast. If you have any questions, you can email me at nancy at hugofloss.co, C-O. And if you have any questions for Dan, you can email him at dan at hugofloss.co. Any last minute notes, Dan? No. Uh, eventually, it would be interesting if people want to say somehow, email, <laughs> whether they're interested in being a guest or, or participating in live streaming or chatting or things. Because I have a feeling some people would, would be interested if they gave it, you know, give it a shot. If they're, if they find they're listening to the show and they're like, Hey, uh, this happens. I listen to podcasts all the time and you get the, um, ah, I know the answer to what they're talking about, or I have the same question or things like this. So that's the sort of thing I think would be. I have an online magazine called designerscirclehq.com. And I have a note on there because I'm always looking for guests. And I've said, you know, you've been talking all your life. You would be the perfect guest if you have something interesting to say. And so we're going to say that for this podcast as well. If you have something interesting to say and you know how to talk, you would be a good guest. So don't hesitate. Like I said before, you can email us and kind of give us your idea of what you would like to talk about. Um, The one thing about this podcast is we're going to not censor anybody to a point. But um, for the most part, you can talk about anything that you want, but you will have to email us and give us some ideas on what you're interested in chatting about. On that note, Dan, I want you to have a good week. That would be nice. Yeah. And everybody stay safe out there and wear your mask for Pete's sake. And get vaccinated. Yes. Bye, Dan. If, if, If there's a needle near you with vaccine in it, tell them to stick it in your arm. And, uh, Goodbye, Nancy, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll we'll uh, catch you next week. Da 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 da.